Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off the month of May. Unfortunately for many folks, especially in uh, the Midwest, wanting to get out to the fields, get some planning done, we are still in a weather delay. I'm in west central Illinois. Three inches of rain last night, more in the forecast. So everything uh, around here is certainly on hold, and it's that way unfortunately in a lot of places but we're going to focus on some other areas today we're going to focus on uh, some uh, trade developments and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later with the vice president and chief operating officer for the u.s grains council kim adams just back from a trip to mexico get the latest from there we're going to talk with the president of the american veterinary medical association dr john DeYoung, today about uh, efforts to address the veterinarian shortage across the country Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report will check in later to give us an update on uh, disaster aid, what's being done in Congress, if anything. And also, we're getting these reports, the possibility of another round of uh, trade aid, trade mitigation payments. But uh, Secretary Purdue saying nothing in the works right now, but there keeps, uh, you know, other reports keep slipping out about the possibility. We'll get an update on all that a little bit later on. We're going to start things off now with a good friend joining me. Juliana Potts, she is the president and CEO of the North American Meat Institute. Juliana, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's great to talk with you too, Mike. It's been a while. It has been a while. I remember uh, uh, at an American Farm Bureau convention several years ago doing uh, an interview with you, one of your very first radio interviews, right? I think that's exactly right. And at that <laughs> point, I was probably talking about uh, legal issues. You were indeed, and now we're going to talk about some uh, trade issues because you've been on an interesting trip. I know you have been to uh, two key markets for U.S. beef and pork, Japan and South Korea. Tell us about your trip. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, This is the first time I had visited either of those countries. Um, I was uh, with, um, hosted by and and guest of um, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and um, traveled with Dan Hallstrom, their CEO, uh, and and met staff, got briefed on um, those markets, what's important there, the activities of USMEF and of our uh, FAS staff over there in um, facilitating trade in those areas. So it was incredible um, to see the um, interest in and the amount of um, consumer confidence in our uh, U.S. beef and pork products and also got to participate in some of those activities as well. While we wait for hopefully good news on several trade fronts when it comes to the uh, uh, talks on trade agreements, you got to see firsthand uh, a trade agreement in place and how it impacts and opens up markets for us, especially there in Korea. Tell us uh, what you you saw there and and how the U.S. Uh, Korea free trade agreement is opening that market up to us. Uh, in Korea, in the uh, the biggest uh, Costco's in the entire world in terms of revenue, a uh, huge meat case there with uh, U.S. products and a gigantic USDA 
Prime uh, logo uh, hanging in the uh, in the meat in the meat section. You know, consumers there uh, very accustomed to seeing uh, U.S. products, buying and enjoying U.S. products, and so that's a very mature uh, mature market to the point that uh, MEF is able to do some really interesting. Um, promotional activities to just continue to reach out through social media to younger consumers because it's there and we're and we're seeing tremendous growth uh, with the chorus the Korea uh, US free trade agreement in place um, the sky's the limit and uh, I think compared to you know our biggest uh, Japan is our biggest market and and destination with no free trade agreement in place once um, we decline to to go forward in TPP, uh, we're we're seeing a lot of nervousness there in the trade about whether and how to keep uh, competitive U.S. products, um, you know, how to keep our products competitive when when our competitors in other countries are very willing to step in and take our market share. So the conversations that we had in Japan. Um, with the trade there and in our retail, both grocery stores, restaurants, and and importers, was you know we're working hard. We are at it uh, here in Washington D.C. with our administration all the time in encouraging uh, a quick resolution to uh, a Japan-U.S. free trade agreement that will reduce tariffs and get our our products uh, free access there the way we have in um, in Korea. It's it's very exciting because the demand is there. We just need to work on getting an agreement in place. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the demand. Do you think if we could work out that agreement with Japan, do you think that uh, there is uh, a good market there as far as consumer acceptance of U.S. meat products there? Absolutely. Uh, I had the opportunity to be interviewed by um, Japanese media uh, while I was there doing a consumer event with um, some really influential food bloggers uh, at a cooking demonstration with a celebrity chef. Uh, I got the feeling both from the, the questions the interviewers asked me as well as the conversations I was able to have directly with these, with these Instagrammers uh, there's a halo around American products in in uh, in American meat products in in Japan. Uh, there there is huge demand for for our uh, pork and beef, both because of food safety. Uh, I think there's a great deal of trust in our uh, food safety advancements here in the U.S. Long you know BSC is long in the rearview mirror. Uh, there's a, a, a taste, uh, you know, quality component, as well as a nutritional component that is emphasized by um, promotions, and so we see unlimited potential in that market if we can get a, a trade agreement in place. And I know our administration is working hard on that. We're very encouraged uh, by uh, what we've seen, by what we've heard uh, coming out, and, and uh, know that those. Uh, discussions are, are going to be continuing this month all right juliana good to talk with you again thanks for the uh, report on your trip to japan and south korea and we'll be watching closely these trade talks uh, ongoing and hopefully we'll get some good news from them soon good to hear that uh, uh, the uh, that, that market is there if we can just 
break down some of these trade barriers and tariffs and these issues. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking with you again soon. Anytime, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Juliana Potts, she is the uh, president and CEO of the North American Meat Institute, just back from a trip to Japan and South Korea. All right, a little bit later on, we'll talk about grain trade into Mexico as we await uh, action on USMCA. We'll be talking later with the vice president and COO of the U.S. Grains Council. But up next, Dr. John DeYoung, president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, efforts to address the veterinarian shortage across the country. We'll talk about that next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Your harvest is your most important asset. It's like money in the bank, and you can get everything you need to store and protect it through one source, your FS Grain System Specialist. With any brand of grain system you choose, your specialist will oversee planning and construction to make sure it's done right. And you can count on FS for maintenance, too. Contact your local FS company or visit fsgrainsystems.com. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer. To leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives. Solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, clean water issues in this country. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation on the clean water rule. What's the next step? This rule which we believe is more balanced. We believe that it is also legally defensible. We also believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but I hope the uncertainty is now moving back near the center where we can live and operate our farms in ways that we're not in in danger of of running afoul of the law. It is going to take a while. You can expect EPA to spend a lot of quality time between now and the end of this year uh, preparing to finalize a rule that they can support. They've got to flesh out not only the, the decisions they make, but why and the rationale why they made those decisions. I think that is critically important, and that's critically important in, in making sure that it is legally defensible. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we have talked before about the uh, real problem across the country uh, of the lack of veterinarians. That that shortage is a real challenge to uh, uh, farmers and ranchers across the country. And we're going to talk today about an effort to address that or help with that situation, the reintroduction of the Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Program Enhancement Act. And joining us now to talk about that is the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. John DeYoung. Thanks for joining us again, uh, John. Let's talk about um, this particular move, this reintroduction of this bill. Why would it help, do you think, in the uh, the situation of the shortage of veterinarians? Well, Mike, great to be on with you again. Um, I think it, it, it speaks for itself. This program has been around for a couple of years, of years the Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Act. But the Enhancement Act is one that's going to, hopefully increase funding um, and availability to send veterinarians to rural areas where they're critically needed, um, and not only that, but also to public health areas. Um, we're really grateful to um, the bipartisanship that we have in the U.S. Senate on Senate Bill 1163. We're hoping for a House bill to come along soon, but the reality is that um, veterinary students are graduating with more and more debt in 2018. Veterinary students around the country are graduating with $175,000 to $180,000 worth of debt. And they're finding that it's really not sustainable for them to move to rural areas to work in food animal production um, or to maybe even to go into careers in public health, which is so critical to keeping our food supply safe, um, uh, our population safe in general. Um, and it's got economic ramifications as well. So we're hoping that this um, act will, will come to fruition. Uh, there's a lot of subtleties in reality that um, occur in the Veterinary Medicine Oral Repayment Enhancement Act. For example, I don't think most people realize that of all the healthcare professions that have um, availability to to address critical shortages and physicians and dentists. I remember years ago there was a uh, television show called Northern Exposure with a physician Mm -hmm. named Joel up in Alaska. I used to watch it when I was a kid. But all of these other healthcare professions, they do not have a tax on their awards. Currently, there's a 37% tax on the veterinary medicine loan repayments um, that limits the ability to, for us to close access gaps, uh, veterinary access gaps in these communities where they're needed the most. In other words, whatever they're going to be paid, 37% gets stripped away right away. And that makes it even, even harder. So if right. we could have that 37% tax removed, that's more money to send more people and the um, USDA NEFA has just uh, um, basically taken a look at the situation and realized that there's 190 shortages in 44 states, which is the most in the program's history. We've had 1,500 veterinarians apply 
to the loan repayment program over the last eight, nine years, um, and almost nearly 500 awards have been made to date, and 80% of the veterinarians completing their services in those areas have said that they intend to rain, remain in those areas. So it, it's paying dividends in the fact that we're able to send people out, take care of some of their student loans, and then they're saying, my gosh, this is a great place to stay. I've built up a rapport with the community, and it makes sense to stay. Yeah, 190 regions in 44 states suffering from shortages of food animal or public health veterinarians. And also looking at the numbers, just last year, average student debt for veterinarians who graduated with loans topped $180,000. So this has to play a big part in this veterinarian shortage. It, it does. You're absolutely correct. A lot of lot, – there, there is – reality is that um, if veterinary – graduates are going into different fields of veterinary medicine and, and we're blessed that the breadth of veterinary medicine is so huge companion animal practice typically in the more urban setting is paying a much better starting salary um, those numbers have risen dramatically in the last five years it was only five years ago that starting salaries nationally for veterinary students graduating into companion animal practice was around seventy thousand dollars it's now pushing 90 so you've seen a, a dramatic increase we're still as a profession, woefully um, undercompensated compared to other healthcare professions. And my goal as president is to try and um, speak as much as I can about the breadth of veterinary medicine and the value of veterinary medicine <clears throat> to the nation um, and to society. And hopefully, in turn, eventually veterinarians will be better compensated and remunerated for their services. But we're not just companion animals. We're food safety and food animal production, as you address on your show. We're research and education public health and epidemiology, human-animal bond, animal welfare, and one health. So veterinary medicine is a broad profession, and this program is just one step in trying to address uh, the critical need for veterinarians to be in places where they're starting to maybe not go to. Um, and if we don't have veterinarians taking care of food animal production in rural communities in America or tailoring with public health, we put our country in, in serious risk. We're talking with Dr. John DeYoung, president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. John, I want to follow up on that because I, I've got a feeling a lot of people in this country don't uh, realize the health risk, the national security risk, the food risk that we face in this country uh, with this shortage of veterinarians really puts us at a great risk. You're, you're absolutely correct. <clears throat> Let's take a look at African swine fever that's really hitting China very hard right now. Luckily, and, um, you know, we've talked about these things before, and I have, um, you know, we've got veterinarians well-trained because we're not only prevention. Well, we are prevention of disease, we are detection, and we are treatment. And if we don't make sure that we've got veterinarians on the front lines in food animal production, it puts our entire country at risk for, for so many reasons, um, for food production, for safety of animals, safety of people, economic risk, et cetera. And so... A program like this is, is, is direly needed, and it's great that we've got bipartisan report support in the Senate. We've had it in the House before, and we've just got to hopefully be able to push this forward. When we met with Secretary Purdue back um, when I was president-elect in December of 17. He was very supportive of the idea, but, you know, it's going to have to get through Congress to, to get any legs and hopefully be able to do what we would like it to do. You mentioned African swine fever, and as of now, no vaccine for it. Uh, how protected are we, or how vulnerable are we in the United States from it coming here? 
Well, I, I would think it's fair to say that we are vulnerable, but, but we are well-protected because we have well-educated, well-trained veterinarians on the front lines in public health and government service um, when it comes to import, export, and what have you. Um, so as long as we maintain our leadership and have providing great education and, and um, having great veterinarians serve in this country, and that's why, again, the Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Enhancement Act it's important if we can get more veterinarians to go into rural areas and public health and keep an eye on the food supply um, that we pr- create in this country and also protect us from stuff coming in, um, hopefully we'll be in a better place. So it's something that we need to be vigilant about and stay on top of at all times. So you need a companion bill in the House, and then hopefully this can move forward. Well, we can hope so. We've been, we've been working on this for a couple of years, and, um, again, it's gratifying to know that we have bipartisan support, but I think, um, <laughs> let's just say Congress has got a lot of other things on their minds right now. Yeah. Some of them I don't think are nearly as important, um, and that's from a personal perspective as a veterinarian, as, as they should be, but um, they're looking at other things, and um, it's a lot of uh, bipartisan fighting, but th- on this one we can agree, and hopefully we can uh, move the Senate and the House forward to uh, getting this into reality. Because this veterinarian shortage, it's a problem that's been going on for some time. It's getting worse rather than better. You you hit the nail on the head. It is getting worse. And in a large part, it's because of student debt. That's why we're also always working on programs with the federal government to try and address uh, student loans and working in consortium with other professions because student loans are really difficult as well. And so you're seeing a problem um, evolve where students are graduating from veterinary school because the insurmountable debt, because of the kind of salaries they can receive in different areas of the country and different parts of the profession, that is dictating where they go. And we cannot afford to let that happen and lose people in rural practice, in food animal production, food safety, and public health. And it's critical that we take care of this. Um, It continues to get worse. Um, These students are also facing the reality when they graduate, how are they going to pay their student loans? And if they can't pay their student loans, how are they going to own a house? How are they going to buy a practice? And that's something that um, the American Veterinary Medical Association is working on every day to try and do find every possible solution. And this Senate 1163, this Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Enhancement Act, is just one um, means at trying to deal with one part of the problem, and hopefully we'll be able to see it come through to fruition. All right, John, thanks for the update, and uh, hopefully we'll see some movement and action on this soon. Thank you very much. Fingers crossed. Thanks for all you do, Mike. Dr. John DeYoung, President of the American Veterinary Medical Association. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the U.S. Grains Council, just back from a trip to Mexico. We'll talk about USMCA and other trade issues coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We've got a Wednesday mix for the grain and oil seed sector, trending higher. Wheat and corn, soybean futures trending a bit lower. The latest round of negotiations on a U.S.-China trade deal concluding in Beijing today with U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin tweeting that the talks would continue in Washington next week. He characterized the talks as being positive. The Wheat Quality Council's tour day one yield estimate for winter wheat 46.9 bushels per acre. That compares to 38.2 bushels per acre in 2018, and it's the highest day one yield total since 2016. The Bears drove July soybeans to another new contract low on Tuesday. The current selling wave accelerating, and we see more minus signs on this Wednesday. July soybeans down two an hour into the trading day at 8.52 November 873 down a penny and three quarters. July corn three cents higher at 365 and three quarters. December up three and a quarter at 384 and a quarter. Chicago wheat July up seven at 435 and three quarters. Kansas City July up five and three quarters, 399 and three quarters of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat the new crop September up four and three quarters at 521. Livestock at the Merck, June live cattle up a dime at 114.35. The back months, though, flat to 25 cents lower. August feeder cattle, 20 cents higher at 149.35. Lean hog futures, June contract, 82 cents higher at 89.05. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 45, S&P up 4. June crude oil in New York down 15 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we continue to uh, 
wait for movement on USMCA and Congress. Want to get an update on the situation in Mexico. Joining us now is Kim Adams, Vice President and COO of the U.S. Grains Council. Kim, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, you were just in Mexico. Tell us about your trip there. Yeah, we had a really um, productive meeting, um, a couple of meetings while we were down in Mexico. We we met, of course, with a lot of our key partners uh, in the biotech and trade space. So, um, you know, a lot of we have a, um, of course, you know, really long history in Mexico um, in terms of our presence there and and collaboration with a lot of our members and, um, of course, the industry in Mexico. So we met with a lot of those um, companies while we were down in Mexico City as well as with um, government officials to talk about USMCA and the and kind of movement on uh, various kind of trade issues. How are they viewing what's going on with UMCA, USMCA uh, from their perspective? I know there was some things happening there on, on, on labor issues in Mexico. That's an issue that's been brought up uh, by House Democrats here wanting to see something done. There's some other issues, environmental issues and some things like that. Uh, what is the mood in Mexico towards USMCA and how the U.S. Congress especially is approaching it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly for, for from what we heard uh, in those meetings, there's a lot of um, support for the agreement and a lot of um, you know, hope that that uh, agreement will move forward in terms of ratification uh, on both sides very soon. Um, U.S. and Mexico have an absolutely critical kind of um, partnership, uh, and and the council has been involved in in working on that partnership in terms of the feed grains uh, sales for a long time, um, and working with their livestock industry. And I think that that partnership and that uh, special trade relationship is recognized by uh, everyone in Mexico as well, from from the companies we met with and the government officials as well. Um, so there's a lot of hope that it'll move forward. Of course, um, uh, a lot of talk about the 232 tariffs and and whether or not or when those will be removed, and knowing that that's a critical piece of the agreement moving forward. What is the impact of those tariffs uh, from the Mexican perspective? You know, they're also there. You know, I think for both sides, the tariffs are kind of a red line issue. Um, you know, they have to be for for us or for the US, for U.S. agriculture. Um, we want to see those tariffs removed. Certainly they do, too. Um, so I think that, you know, that's kind of one of the big uh, pieces of pieces that's still out to play. But otherwise, I think, um, you know, everyone's very excited about the agreement. They recognize the uh, improvements that were made uh, from uh, NAFTA into, into um, this USMCA agreement. And really uh, excited about the opportunities for the two countries to continue or the three countries to continue uh, working closely together as one big um, important trading block. So there's strong support you would say in Mexico for USMCA? Yeah, I mean the people that we met with are, are you know feel pretty uh, positively about the agreement. Um, we we um, had really positive meetings all the way around recognizing the mutual uh, need for both countries to have a, tr- a strong trading partnership, and and so I th- I felt very uh, very good about the um, the conversations that happened surrounding USMCA. We're talking with Kim Adams, Vice President and COO of the U.S. 
Rains Council recently in Mexico for a, a series of meetings. Um, there was concern throughout the negotiations of USMCA that Mexico would uh, start looking elsewhere uh, for their grain needs and while they wouldn't stop buying obviously from the U.S. but uh, maybe that that market would not be as strong moving forward as it has been in the past. What are your thoughts on that? What have you seen from Mexico as far as uh, what they want to do as, as far as purchases? Are they going to uh, look to other countries more or, or not? Well, I think that um, clearly the, the U.S. has a really good advantage in terms of our ability to be competitive into the Mexico market. So um, while we have seen in the past, especially when things got a little bit um, dicey, uh, on the, on the, you know, whether or not we were going to withdraw from NAFTA and those, and those kinds of issues. We did see them looking to South America for purchases and then making some purchases from South America for corn. But wh- what I think is really important and, and, and exciting to focus on is really the incredible amount of demand potential that exists in Mexico. You know, we, we've continued to have a really strong program in Mexico for a long time, but um, it's been incredible to see the tremendous growth in, in the uh, opportunity for corn exports to that country over the past um, even three or four years. Uh, the numbers just keep growing, which means the, the growth in the feed and livestock industry is, is continuing to, to set records every year. Um, there's strong market for, for corn, of course, for the corn co-product uh, distillers grains. They're, they're a strong customer for barley and for sorghum as well. Uh, so I think that uh, it's ex- an exciting opportunity um, and something that, you know, is really um, uh, kind of a success story, if you will, of, of a really strong trade relationship, a strong trade agreement, solid trade policy in place, and a, and a marketplace that continues to Uh, be a really exciting opportunity for U.S. agriculture. The border issue, though, is also a part of this. And recently when the president uh, talked about shutting down the border, uh, a lot of people wondered if that meant shutting down movement of, uh, like, uh, commodities back and forth across uh, the border as well and brought that into question. Uh, What is the discussion in Mexico and their perspective on this border issue? You know, we didn't we didn't focus our conversations too much on um, that particular issue. The, the conversations that we had were really more focused on, of course, um, momentum toward uh, USMCA as well as um, cementing our commitment toward continuing to work as partners as we look at opportunities for U.S. ethanol, for U.S. corn, sorghum, and barley, um, continuing to to work together uh, as as we. Um, further develop their feed and livestock industry to, and provide opportunities for U.S. Ar- farmers to capture that market. What is the uh, ethanol market potential in, in Mexico for us? Well, we're continuing to, to really um, grow our ethanol market development program in Mexico, and um, we've seen some signs of, of positive policy change there. So, um, you know, there's there's been some... Um, some really good uh, excite, excitement and some good movement on the Mex- on ethanol. I think uh, one really big thing will be for uh, Mexico to fully uh, implement the E10 uh, across the nation. Right now, it's it's um, somewhat there in terms of uh, E10 policy, but we're still working to get uh, the policy that we think is the best um, 
for them and for and for us. Actually, we had a really positive discussion about this while we were down there and talking about the opportunities that having an ethanol industry would be uh, would provide for uh, Mexico itself. So. Um, certainly, I think if they move to uh, E10, it would provide opportunities not only for U.S. exports, but also for uh, robust industry in Mexico as well. So the focus on USMCA and these calls by some in the House uh, for changes, labor and environment and other, some of these other issues, is that viewed as a, a, a major roadblock to USMCA, or is that something they feel they are addressing and can be done maybe in side agreements, or, or how's that viewed? Well, I, I, I felt, um, like I said, that, um, that people felt very, um, the people that we met with were very uh, positive about the, 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 um, the agreement and, and that really that uh, the biggest challenge will be to, to um, see how things play out with the 232 tariffs, um, and, and I think that's kind of a, a little bit of an unknown right now, but certainly, um, you know, overall, the, the strong building blocks of that agreement uh, were really supported by, by everyone that we spoke with. Anxiousness there, nervousness about it, whether or not it's going to pass in the U.S. and what happens if it doesn't? You know, people didn't really get into that. I think uh, people felt really confident in the agreement. Um, and and that it would pass. I, I think um, I didn't hear a lot of anxiousness that at some point um, they felt like it wouldn't. I, I don't know that they are confident that it, about when it will happen, but I, I do feel like they they feel uh, like they've done what they need to do to come to to be compliant with the you know their their part of the agreement, and and um, they feel very confident that it's a really good agreement and. and um, that it will pass. Well, we're all watching closely to see what happens there. Kim, thank you for the update and the interesting, sure. sounds like an interesting trip. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Kim Adams, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the U.S. Grains Council, just back from a meeting in Mexico. Meanwhile, on the China front, um, there are some signs that maybe a U.S. China deal could be close. Washington and Beijing agreeing to a timeline for removing some tariffs. And uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin in Beijing this week. Another round of negotiations set for next week in Washington, D.C. Under that tariff removal plan, 10% duties on a portion of the $200 billion worth of Chinese goods would be uh, taken off, and tariffs on the remaining products could be taken off quickly one source says it so it remains to be seen but uh, we're watching those talks closely as well also we're watching will congress get anything done on the disaster aid and what about could there be more trade aid payments coming we're getting conflicting reports on that we'll check in with jerry hagstrom with the hagstrom report talk about some of those items next here on adams on agriculture Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope not tomorrow not in a few years but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Well, let's take a look at the recently released Ag Census. Joining us to do that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. I think farmers have an excellent story to tell in terms of uh, they really are the original stewards of the land. And one thing that changed from the 2017 and 2012 census, and this is 2012 was the first time they asked this question, Conventional versus conservation versus no-till. Um, in 2012, conventional uh, was at the top, followed by conservation and no-till. In the 2017, um, no-till was the highest, followed by conservation, and then uh, conventional was the lowest. So you're definitely seeing uh, more farms utilize uh, environmentally friendly practices. Uh, additionally, one that was captured was cover crop. Uh, amount of acres uh, planted with cover crops increased by 50%. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. People respond differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Those who spend their days tending to the land have a unique perspective on change. They see it up close every day, as one season fades into another, as a seed grows into a stalk, as a field of gold is spun out of the land, sun, and sky. Change is their livelihood. Since the beginning, Poet has shared a fundamental connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We are inspired by change. Climate change may be the most daunting challenge yet, but we believe it's not insurmountable. The same spirit of innovation that helped build a worldwide biofuels industry will help us tackle the environmental issues we're facing today together. Sustainable biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. 
Visit Poet.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, want to get an update on some issues in Washington. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report with us. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, what are you hearing in Congress? Are they any closer to something, some uh, resolution, some agreement on disaster aid? Uh, I have not heard anything about it except that the House is supposed to take up a bill next week that's going to include the additional money that the House has put in for uh, for the rural areas uh, in the continental U.S. Uh, that will, of course, also include more aid for Puerto Rico than the president has said that he wants to support or that the Senate Republicans have wanted to support. So that's where it stands at the moment. So any thought that they might come back from the Easter recess after being back home in their districts, hearing from folks, seeing the damage in the in the Midwest, that they would come back with some real urgency to get something done, that, that does not seem to be the case. Uh, no. The latest theory on urgency is that they will want to pass it before they go home from the Memorial Day weekend. Hmm. So yeah. that does give them a few weeks here to try to figure something out. Seems like their urgency is often around their, their breaks. Uh, it certainly is. That, yeah. But that's been true probably. Uh, probably yeah. it's been true for 200 years. Yeah, probably. Um, let's talk about uh, these conflicting reports, If whether or not the administration is considering another round of trade mitigation payments. Uh, we hear some administration officials say there's the possibility, Secretary Purdue saying none that he's aware of right now. What are you hearing? Well, I think that the, that the messages out of the administration on trade are becoming increasingly uh, mixed and in conflict. Uh, you know, Larry Kudlow, the White House economics advisor, said maybe they would do more, and, and Purdue has been saying they wouldn't, and yesterday he said again that he didn't think they would. Uh, uh, at the same time, on the China negotiations, uh, the uh, you know uh, the trade representative Lighthizer and Se- Treasury Secretary Mnuchin have gone off to China for negotiations, but this time Greg Dowd, the chief agriculture negotiator, didn't go along. But yesterday, when he was asked, "Does this mean it's, that agriculture is wrapped up?" he said, "No." So we're 
not sure what to think about the situation. Yeah, it is very conflicting because if they're talking about the possibility even of more trade aid, that doesn't sound very optimistic towards uh, these trade deals and negotiations being uh, successful. Well, uh, no, uh, I'd have to say that that is uh, that that's true. So a theory that they're thinking about elections, and some people have thought they wouldn't do trade aid in 2019. But if the situation with China hasn't been resolved, they might do it in uh, you know in 2020 before the elections. Uh, again, we're just com- we're just completely up in the air about these things at this moment as we often are. Uh, Meanwhile, there was this meeting in the White House, and you have um, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer coming out saying they've got an agreement with the president to spend uh, money on infrastructure uh, projects, but they've not yet figured out how they're going to pay for it. Uh, But you think this is a major step towards getting an infrastructure package done? Well, I'd say the fact that Schumer... And Pelosi went to the White House and had a positive meeting with the president is a positive step uh, on anything. On infrastructure, I don't know. They've talked about it so many times. You know, going back to the Obama administration, they talk about infrastructure. Uh, So I'm never sure until they actually do something. The main conflict has been that the uh, Democrats would, of course, use tax money to uh, to pay for the infrastructure, and the Trump administration has wanted to do it with a lot of private sector investment, and people are saying that will never work in the rural areas because um, you, you know, it wouldn't work, for example, to do toll roads because you don't have enough people who drive on the road to make make tolls uh, worth it to or uh, for financing. So we'll wait and see there. I, yeah, I guess the biggest news there is that Pelosi and Schumer came out of a White House meeting uh, in a fairly good mood. That's uh, unusual in and of itself. Uh, let's talk about uh, some House Democrats threatening to block passage of USMCA. What are you hearing there? Uh, well, yes, that they're concerned about labor, uh, uh, labor and the environment. Uh, uh, Colin Peterson told me yesterday uh, he doesn't think it's in a very uh, a very good place at this time. But of course, these House members have just come back from their break, uh, so I wouldn't say that there has been any new assessment uh, yet. And you, you mentioned Colin Peterson, the House uh, Ag Committee. Uh, there was a hearing on the dairy industry yesterday. Uh, uh, yes, there was. Uh, apparently, the dairy uh, people are. Um, you know, they're just not sure that this dairy program is going to be enough for them. But the real problem with the dairy industry is it's in the midst of restructuring in which, you you know, they have small farmers' farms declining, but the volume of milk is going up because the big producers still produce more. And as long as they've got that going on, uh, it's hard to come up with a program that's going to solve uh, uh, everything. Uh, now, yesterday I didn't go to that hearing because I went – to the Farm Foundation Conference on Trade. And there I would say that these farm leaders and economists who spoke are increasingly desperate for, for resolution of these trade conflicts because the, uh, the prospects for export sales are not good as long as this goes on. Yeah, we're sitting here, much of the uh, Midwest, unable to get out to the fields and plant. 
grain prices are low. They need some good news, and hopefully we can get some soon on on the trade front. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot for the update. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. So, wow, we've covered a lot of ground today. Tomorrow we're going to get into this infrastructure uh, possibility. How close are they to actually getting something done? Uh, well, there's been some action, uh, some things happening in Washington on a tax extenders package and how that would affect biodiesel. We'll get into that as well. And a lot of other issues going on, too. So be sure to join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.